0: Welcome to Walk in the Truth podcast. Today, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, brings a message in the Origin series that helps answer the five most important questions in life. How you live today depends on how you answer these questions. Here's John Metter with a teaching on the five questions. Your this morning and take them to Genesis chapter one, verse one. The book of beginning, The book of foundations. The book of origins. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. A number of years ago I was pastoring in the city of Edmond, Oklahoma, and a tornado came through town. Now, Oklahoma is called Tornado Alley, so it's not in, it's not with surprised if that happened. We knew that could happen at any time, the spring usually. At this time the tornado actually came through our city, it actually began to do damage, and the damage was so widespread at night we couldn't really tell what was going on. The next morning we got up and we were driving through some of the streets that used to have houses next to them. And later on, we learned that over 150 homes were destroyed completely. Miraculously, there were no deaths, several injuries, but not severe. But 150 homes destroyed completely. Now imagine driving through a neighborhood and having to have debris cleared from the street to drive through and saying, Home, location after location with no walls, no roof, no interior left, just concrete foundations. As a matter of fact, I was stunned by the fact that none of the foundations of those 150 homes was destroyed or damaged at all. Just the homes built on those foundations were gone. Over the years, nearly every family came back and built the exact same home on the exact same foundation because they could, because the foundations didn't get destroyed. The truth is, in our lives as well, foundations are amazingly important for life and everything can be destroyed. But if the foundations are secure, you can rebuild again. And that's really why God gave us amazing foundations. The further we move away from the foundations God gave us, the worse life gets. And the closer we stick with the original foundations God gives us, the better things are. And we find out about these foundations in the book of Genesis. Would you stand with me together as I read the first five verses of Genesis chapter one. The title of the message today is day one, day one. Last week we looked at day zero. We looked at what was said before day one. And today we'll read that again as well as verses three, four, and five. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. AND THE SPIRIT OF GOD WAS MOVING OVER THE SURFACE OF THE WATERS. THEN GOD SAID, LET THERE BE LIGHT, AND THERE WAS LIGHT. GOD SAW THAT THE LIGHT WAS GOOD, AND GOD SEPARATED THE LIGHT FROM THE DARKNESS. GOD CALLED THE LIGHT DAY, AND THE DARKNESS HE CALLED NIGHT. AND THERE WAS EVENING AND THERE WAS MORNING ONE DAY. FATHER, IN JESUS' NAME TODAY, WE PRAY FOR ILLUMINATION on THIS TEXT, UNDERSTANDING ABOUT WHAT'S BEING SAID and how it applies to us today. Thank you for building the foundation strong enough to support us and to give us truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you don't have foundations, you really don't have anything. Foundations are essential to your life. But I have to tell you today that people are asking questions that the foundations answer for them, and yet they're not looking to the foundation for the answers. God reveals everything you would ever want to know in the book of Genesis. Genesis 1 through 12 answer all the important questions in life, and some of the questions that we'll be asking and answering as we walk through this series are these questions. The first one is, who is God and what is truth? It's a compound question, but if you believe that God is who he says he is, then you've already answered the question about what is truth. So who is God and what is truth? Uh, Who was I created to be? The world is confused about who we were created to be. Culture gives us all kinds of answers or even says you can be whoever you want to be or whatever you want to be. But the Bible gives answers to the question, who was I created to be? Who are my people? Who is it that I am to turn to when I need support? Do I pursue healthy relationships? It's another question. And what are healthy relationships? How are they supposed to work? Those are answered in the book of Genesis. And finally, what is my purpose? Why am I on the planet? Why has God given me life? If you find the answers to those questions in the Bible, in scriptures from God, then you have a strong foundation on which to build. If you try to find them anywhere else, your foundations are crumbling. And so we have this text and we have this creation account and last week, we began to explain what the Bible says about creation. At the same time, we ask the question, what does science say? Science tells us that evolution is how the species came to be at its present state. But even Darwin, the originator of the evolution of the species, stated that a creator would have to have had created the first life forms and simple life molecular structures for any evolution to ever take place. We talked about the Big Bang Theory that science embraced for so many years but is no longer in favor of many scientists because they've begun to reject that. Actually, recent discoveries about the universe from stronger telescopes and more research show that the universe is far bigger than the Big Bang Theory could ever account for. And we're finding new galaxies and new stars that are further out than anything that can be accounted for scientifically. Cosmologists... Those that study the cosmos have no definitive answer for how did any of this come into being? Last week, we made the statement that we know that there is an intelligent designer of the universe for a number of reasons. First of all, the witness of of, uh, of creation. When you look at creation, when you look at what all is out there, when you get on a telescope and look at all of the constellations that are out there and the amazing symmetry of the whole universe, you have to come to a conclusion that this was not by accident. This was not a random thing that took place. So creation itself speaks loudly about the existence of an intelligent designer. Secondly, we look at the scripture as a witness. That everywhere you go in the Bible, the scripture writes about creation as it does in Genesis 1 with particularly different individuals riding back to the evidence they see in the creation account. And then thirdly, we look at the creation account itself, Genesis 1 all the way through the end of the chapter, give us a profound witness to how the creation came into being. And it really answers the question, who is God? Because every time you read about God, you find out something more about Him. Last week, we just looked at the first two verses of Genesis chapter one, and the first two verses of the Bible tell us that God is eternal. In the beginning, God, He always has been, He always will be, He was in existence in the beginning. The Bible tells us he's one God, even though God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are three of the persons of the Godhead, God is one. The word Elohim is used. And in the Hebrew, that means a plural one, which is foreign to our minds, but describes the character of God. Thirdly, we learned he's omnipotent. That means he's all powerful. In the beginning, God created. The only way anybody can create anything is if they have power. And for someone to create the heavens and the earth, they must be omnipotent. So here we are in Genesis chapter 1, looking at verse 2 and following today. We're going to find out several firsts that take place in this passage. First of all, the first form, the first form. Look at verse 2. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters." Now, I love to ask questions, and this question I ask of Scripture is this one, what did the earth look like after God began? After the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, but then showed us a step-by-step process where all the other components of creation were placed into being, what did it look like before all those other components, before there was day and night, before there were the sun and the stars, before there was land and mass, what did it look like at first But science has no explanation for how those first molecules came into being, but if we read the Bible, we find that God created water first before before all the other elements of creation, before any other kind of matter. God hovered, the scripture says, over the waters. That's the first matter you hear of in the scripture. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I don't remember much about my high school um, chemistry class. and I don't remember much about my high school science class. But apparently, they teach you about H2O. H2O is what we call our water. It's really amazing that if you take those molecules and separate them, they're both very explosive, but together, they do not explode. In fact, they adhere to one another. H2O is so unique in so many ways. Water, because it's H2O, is explained as having polarity. So what that means is molecules are pulled together in water And it adheres to one another. It bonds with other H2O molecules, which means it has cohesion. It also has viscosity, which means that it flows. So when water is poured, it stays together and flows out. It sustains aquatic life because it boils and freezes at only extreme temperatures, meaning that you can find all kinds of life inside of water apart from those two places, freezing or boiling. Water can also be found in liquid, steam, or ice. Water is found over 70% of the earth. In fact, the earth is almost largely made of water, just a little bit of land in comparison with that. In fact, you are 75% water as a human being. Did you know that? You're made up of water. Astronomers who look for other life forms look for water on the planet first that they're looking at because they know that water has to exist in order to provide life ability for any other kind of life. Ken Ham in his writings describes this first form as a watery blob. Uh, I prefer to call it a watery sphere that God set into motion one day. And I think I know what it looks like. I was looking through some scientific videos the other day and came across a watery sphere. And I believe this video captures this sphere in a way that I think will be helpful for us. Again, this is my speculation and my own research, but here's what we see. It's a watery sphere in microgravity rotating. It's floating, much like astronauts float in microgravity in space. But as it rotates, you'll notice that the air bubbles inside of that water are cohering together, holding together in motion. And as it rotates, it creates a core. The natural forming of a core with a, with a pole on the top and on the bottom. And when they inject additional matter, say tea leaves, into this rotating blob of water, it causes the matter to move to the outer sides of the sphere, which is very much like the plates of the earth moving to where they are today. Now, from my own perspective, that's what Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 describes, this kind of rotating mass that we call water. And in dark form, without light, Genesis 1-2 describes that. Now, when I go to the New Testament, I find a very similar description of the beginning of heavens and earth as being water. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 5, when they maintain this, that is the doubters, it escapes their notice that by the Word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Now, that's an interesting thing. Nobody's ever taught me that before, but there it is in the Bible. And as we read through it, we see some amazing things in this very first form that God gave us. But I also want you to know something else. As we look at what God is doing in Genesis chapter one, you'll have to notice that God has gone before us to place us on the planet and place everything on the planet that we'll need for our existence. We can't live without water. We can't live without all the other things that God provides on the planet. And as you read Genesis one, you'll see that he creates light and he'll create food He'll create the work that man must have. He creates the relationships that we have to have. He's gone before us. Now, when I look at all that God has done in Genesis chapter 1, I come to the conclusion that creation isn't about the earth. It's about the creator. It's about those that he will place on the earth who reflect his very character in his image. Now, there's some application here that I want you to pause and think about. Just like the earth was not an accident, just like it wasn't random, just like it was spoken into existence by the purpose and the power of God, you're no accident and you're not on this planet in a random way. You're here for a reason with a purpose because we have a God who is omnipotent because we have a God who has purpose, He has meaning in life and He's placed you here not by accident in any way. Don't think that you're just a survivor, you're not. God has placed you here because he has plans for your life and those plans are gonna be amazing and your life matters because God is a God of purpose. Now you just hold that, you deposit that in your mind for just a few moments. The first form was the form that God spoke into existence. And then we've got what's obvious, the first word, the first word. You know, This is the first recorded word of God in the Bible. Here's what it says in verse 3. Then God said, let there be. Then God said, let there be. Now, I think that's significant. Anytime you read about something that's first mentioned in a certain place in Scripture, it is significant. Here's a word that was spoken by God. Here's a word that became a pattern for how God created everything else. You'll notice as you read Genesis 1, over and over it says, and God said, and God said, and God said, And God said, and it was. That's a powerful word by an omnipotent God, to speak and everything comes into existence. But catch this, when God speaks, creative elements listen. They all come into the proper relationship to be formed, to be what he calls them to be. In fact, his word is so powerful that all of creation comes into being, and that's how God designed it. The psalmist spoke of that in Psalm 33, verse 9. And summarized it by saying, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Now I think this is a powerful thing, but we also know that God upholds the world by his hand and his word as well. I believe this firmly. If God ever removes his hand and his word from our world, it will crash and burn. There is nothing about our world that is random, but if God and the God of order removes his Power that keeps it in order, that keeps us in the right relationship with everything else around us. It will crash and burn. It'll be absolute catastrophe. But the Bible cautions us that we don't need to worry about that. And we don't need to worry about the future because God upholds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, describing Jesus as he's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Now, all things in the Greek means the same thing as all things in the English and in the Spanish and in the Chinese and every other language you can have on the planet. Every version of the Bible says he opposed, say it with me, all things by the word of his power. God opposed all things. His word is all powerful. The first word just simply reflects how powerful God is and God will be forever and ever. But not only does he uphold all things, he can also suspend all things at his word. Think about some of the miracles of the Bible where God suspended his laws of nature at his word. When Jesus walked on water, when he made the sun stand still for the space of about half a day so the enemies could be defeated, where he turned the water into wine at the wedding feast at Cana, where he parted the sea so the Israelites could walk right through it. Where he raised Lazarus, dead Lazarus, to rise from the dead. He gave what I call the divine word. He spoke, and everything that was a law of nature was suspended for the purpose of God. But you read on in the Bible, you'll find more and more instances of this. How did the animals get into the ark except God spoke to them and told them to go to the boat that had never been built before but was built for these animals, and they went. Or why did the lions keep their mouths closed when Daniel was in the lion's den so that he might live? Or how did the whale know to go find Jonah and then swallow him and then take him and deposit him on the shores of Nineveh? I call it a divine Uber is what it was. (laughs) God called the whale and it went there, then, and for that purpose. And I don't know if Jonah left a tip, but God must have. God spoke to winds, he spoke to waves, he speaks to trees, and they all obey. In fact, the amazing thing is, there's only one kind of thing on earth that doesn't obey the Word of God. And you know who it is? It's us. The ones he created to have our own will, to do things the way we want. And still to this day, we are the only ones with a record, a bad record, of doing what God's Word says. Now, the first word in the presence of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, tells me a very important principle. The word goes before the work. Before God does a work, he gives a word. Now, that's not only true with God and creation, but it's true of the prophets. God gave Elijah a word. Elijah spoke it and it came to pass. That's also true when God gives you a word. When he speaks to your life, you can expect that what he speaks to you about will happen at some point down the road. Jesus said he's coming again. We expect Jesus to come again, but we don't know when. We don't know exactly all the elements of that, but we trust it because of the principle of the first word that when God speaks, we need to listen. But that also helps us answer the question, what is truth? And the question of what is truth is answered by what has God said? When we get to Genesis chapter 3, we'll see the first temptation And we'll see that Satan originally tempted Eve by saying, has God really said? And of course, she was led astray, as was Adam. And that ushered mankind's sin in. So God's Word is powerful. God spoke. The first facts of life take place. He speaks. It is. It's a universal principle. It's a powerful spiritual principle. Let this guide your life. Just like it guided the original elements of creation. The sheer power of God's word allows me to build my life on what God told me to build my life on, regardless of how I feel, how much I doubt, what my circumstances are, or the cultural objections around me. I can always rely on God's word. Do you remember the story that Jesus told about the man who built his house upon the sand and then the man who built his house upon the rock? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, "'Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock.'" Of course, the fool did not obey what he heard. Since Jesus is the one that made this statement, and he's the same one that spoke and all the creation came into existence, I think we do well to pay attention to the words of Jesus Christ. Science, as you know, looks for experiments to prove theories. Well, if my life is an experiment, it proves the power of God's Word. Because as I look back on my life, all the times I've walked with God, obeyed God, they've been great times. And all the times I've disobeyed God and not done what He said, they've been bad times. If your life is an experiment, you want to make sure that you're obeying the Word of God which is a divine word and in every way can be trusted. Creation says, trust his word, rely on what it says, read it and discover what can happen. The first word. Then there's the first light, the first light. Look at verse three, God said, let there be light and there was light. So if you can imagine your mind's eye speaking into the void of this watery sphere, he said, let there be light and there was light then try to imagine for a moment, what is this light? Now, later on, we know that God does not create the sun just yet, and the solar system and the stars, he places them in their spots later on. It's not the Shekinah glory of God, which we read about other, other places of the Old Testament, because it was dark in this place where God created the original elements. It was dark, and yet God was there, so it's not the Shekinah glory. But in conclusion, we really don't know what the light was. It was simply an electromagnetic response of light uh, and the waves that recreate that at his command. Just like water, light has an unusual phenomena about it. Any light form is made up of electromagnetic waves. It's not matter. It has no mass, no weight. It's not pulled by gravitational forces. It can enter any kind of space, and we only see the light that's reflected off of something else. And we see it in those refractionary ways. But what happened was that God spoke and there was simply light. Now, here's what you need to carry away from this. Not the light needs to get your attention, but the fact that God is the source of light. The fact that he brings light. He's the one that makes it happen. He provides whatever kind of light is needed when the Israelites were walking through the wilderness in the dark of night. He provided a pillar of fire for them just to get them from one spot to another to obey what he told them to do. He demonstrated the Shekinah glory in the tabernacle later on the temple to show his presence. Whatever light is needed, God provides. But what's impressive is not the light. What's impressive is the God who brings the light. Ancient civilizations used to worship the sun and worship the stars. People today still chart their lives off of astrology. But why not worship the God that put the stars up there? Why not worship the God who put the sun there? He's the source of light. Now look at what God's doing here. The earth at this point is the center of all this focus and all of his attention. And he hasn't put us in a solar system for us to serve it. He places the solar system around us for it to serve us. His focus, his creative, powerful emphasis is the creation of the earth upon which he places his people, that's you and I, made in his image. And because we know that, we worship and serve him, not the earth, not the sun, not the trees not any of the natural phenomena that God speaks into existence. We worship Him, the source of light, not the light itself. You, be, you better be more fascinated by God than the light He gave you. More fascinated by God than the trees that blow in the wind. More fascinated by God than the, the seas or all of the fish in the seas. Be fascinated by God. He's the one who brings it all into existence. But also this verse says that God saw that the light was good. Now, I want to take for just a moment and talk about that word good. Later on in the New Testament, Jesus said, there is no one good but God. And here's God declaring that at the very least, the earth was created without sin, without corruption, without disease, without issue, without war, without strife, without evil at all. It was good in the eyes of God. Now, God said this at every stage of creation, didn't he? And God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. At the end of it all, he said, God saw it was very good. After he created the man and the woman, God saw that it was very good. And that that word good reflects God's character, his goodness, his order, his symmetry, his balance, his purpose. Now think about that for a moment. The reason I believe this is such an important phrase, and the reason I believe in the existence of a young earth, not an old earth in the sense of how long it took to create, It's because the older theory that accompanies imagined evolution describes millions of years of suffering and disease and fighting and struggles and killing, none of which could be called good by any stretch of the imagination. I believe God created the heavens and the earth in seven literal days, as we'll look at in just a moment, and everything He created was good. It wasn't a survival of the fittest that God created, which implied a war that brings present life out of a struggle, but it was created to be good, harmonious, as only God could. Sin and death and evil and wickedness and temptation given into all happens after man makes the decision to leave God's Word. That's why judgment happens to us because we're the ones that originate evil, not God who did not create evil. And really, if you want an explanation for how catastrophic our world is today, Don't blame God for the wickedness on the planet. Blame us and blame the sin of mankind. Don't shake your fist at God and say, you made this world so unjust, so unfair. No, you look at who really is to blame and it's not God who created all things good. God saw that it was good. And when you look at original creation, you too can say it was good. And then finally, there's the first day, the first day. Verse 5 says, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, and literally in the New American Standard, one day. Not the first day, but one day. Some creationists believe that this day was not a literal 24 hour period. These would be old earth uh, evolutionists or old earth theorists. They believe that God created, but that he did it over thousands or maybe millions of years where each day could have represented a million years. And they try to accommodate evolution and the theories of science, which, by the way, are becoming increasingly outdated. They try to accommodate that in their translations. Sometimes you'll hear someone that believes in the old earth theory, that it took millions and millions and millions of years for God to do this instead of seven literal days. They'll say, but what about 2 Peter 3, verse 8? Let me put it on the screen for you. Peter's talking about judgment. And he says, but do not let this one... In fact, escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Now, context is king. I don't know if you've heard that, but you should have heard that many times from this pulpit. And the context is judgment, not creation. And so what God is saying, basically, it seems like judgment will never come. Now, those of you that are shaking your fist at God and saying, when will you make the unjust things just that'll be then. It seems like it's taken a long time for God to settle all accounts. But one day he will do that, even though it seems like a thousand years. But creation says seven literal days. And I think it's important for us to give acknowledgement to the scripture itself. The first day, one day. And that's what it says here in the scripture. Now, many scholars in the Hebrew will also agree with that, of course, that the Hebrew word for first day means one day, just as we translate that. So this is the first day of creation that we're looking at. Also, it defines how long one day is. Evening and morning, one day. I don't know how the Bible can get any more precise than it is. It's simple. A child can understand it. Evening and morning, One day, the the day always is, always has been, always will be 24 hours in length. And not coincidentally, it's the time it takes for the earth to rotate once on its axis, by design, by creative fiat, where God simply declares it. That's how long a day is. Now, I know some of you are out there saying, well, it seems like some of my days are so long, but they're actually only 24 hours. And that's how every day has been since creation In Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, it says, "'For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth "'and the sea and all that's in them "'and rested on the seventh day. "'Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day "'and made it holy.'" You say, Pastor, why are you spending all this time on this seven-day thing? And here's why. How you view the creationist account of the world is not a test of fellowship. I've got other believers that I know and love who believe differently than I do on this but it does reveal how you interpret your Bible. You see, the Bible must take precedence over any scientific theory. If theories of science, or circumstance, or a culture determine how you interpret your Bible, God's Word is secondary to you, not primary. If I let culture tells me what, what a man is, what a woman is, or how long the earth has been in existence, or how it came into being, then the Bible is secondary instead of primary. But if I approach the Bible and say, I will take the Bible and filter through it all the theories that man comes up with, all the theories that science comes up with, all the feelings I have, all the desires I may have, then God's Word is primary. And I learn what's right, and I learn what's wrong, and I have a foundation that I can stand on. God did not give you this book for you to doubt your whole life. He gave you this book for you to build your life on. And that's what this book is for. So, let Scripture set your view of God, the world, and your life. You don't have to figure it all out. He already has. And so what you do is you allow him to show you what he has for you. Let the divine word amaze you. Let it capture you. Let it lead you. Greater than that, let it point you to the flawless God, to His Son, Jesus Christ, who created this earth, and who created the future heavens for all of us who put our faith and trust in Him. And let it cause you to be even more confident that your salvation is secure by placing your trust in that God, that Jesus, who made sure that you could have a right way with Him by trusting Him by faith. My friend, Genesis points to Jesus. It points to the end and everything in between. And you have it all in the Word of God, if you'll have it, if you'll have it. In just a few moments, I'll, I'll close this in prayer. We have our decision stations that are up, people manning those. Today, it may be you need, need to make a decision to trust by faith the God who created the heavens and the earth. If you're wandering aimlessly through life and you're not really sure what to believe or not really sure what truth is or what decisions you need to make to be on the right path, then we can help you see how the Bible gives you direction and guidance. We can help you see how Jesus Christ can forgive sin and give us eternal life. Make the priority to place your life in the hands of this God who created the heavens and the earth. Our decision station will be lit up in in a moment. And as soon as the service is over, I'll be in the guest reception room. Love to visit with you if you're a guest today. I would love to welcome you to our services and talk to you about things. Uh, beyond here, what it means to be a part of our church. Would you stand with me? Father, in Jesus' name, today I'm very, very grateful for a Bible that gives us all that we need for life. Father, I'm thankful that the world is held together by your word just as you said it would for all these centuries. And Lord, we have no reason to doubt, no reason to look elsewhere for the answers that we need in life. Father, today, help us to have a renewed confidence in what you say and what you've written and what we have. Father, today, I pray that every person will come to the place of knowing personally you, the God of creation, through your son Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.